All right. Cast number four, and tonight we're talking high-rise fire operations. Um, before we kick it around the room and we talk to everybody, um, we're in the process of trying to make these things a little bit more polished. Uh, so Bobby in the past has created this video. We're going to try and work on creating something similar to this as an intro for us. Uh, so we want to just, just kind of show this off and give Bobby a little credit for some great work. Uh, so we're going to watch this video and then we'll come back and, and go around and uh, introduce everybody and uh, get started for tonight. So here we go. Fire 
Thanks, Ben. Uh, welcome, everybody. Great to have everyone back this week. Uh, we've got uh, Danny Sheridan from FDNY is going to introduce himself here in a little bit as our guest. Uh, I used to work with Ben and Bobby in Ocean City. And uh, according to state law, once you retire in Maryland as a firefighter, uh, you have to move to the state of Florida and take a fireman's job down here. So uh, currently a chief here in South Florida and uh, enjoying the sunshine right now. So with that, we'll kick it over to Bobby. Good evening, everybody. <clears throat> welcome. And welcome, Danny. Thanks for coming on, brother. We appreciate it. Um, uh, 32 years in the fire service. We're currently working in Ocean City as a lieutenant. Um, five years to retirement, I think, it looks like. Um, yeah, so uh, glad to see everybody and really look forward to hearing what Danny has to say. Chief, it's up to you, brother. Oh, hang on a second, Chief. All right, sorry. Try that again. Am I unmuted? Okay. Hi, guys. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Danny Sheridan, Italian chief with the New York City Fire Department. I've been with New York for almost 34 years, 12 years as a battalion chief, 
uh, soon, hopefully in the next year or two, maybe two years, deputy chief, God willing. Um, spent most of my career surrounded by what we call uh, project-type buildings, which are just uh, another term for high-rise, fireproof, multiple dwellings. I was in 17 truck, had lots of high-rise, uh, 58 engine, fire factory. We were surrounded by the same types of buildings, so... I have a little experience with uh, <laughs> these types of buildings, you know. So, so uh, thanks, guys. Thanks for joining, uh, Chief Sheridan. Thanks for joining us. It's uh, it's always nice to have someone with um, the experience that you do join us. Um, so tonight, like I said, high rise. Uh, one of the first things that we wanted to bring up and talk about was uh, what are we running uh, when we go to high rise? What are our high rise packs look like? Um, and kind of a brief idea of what our, um, you know, that first two engine truck, our first two assignment, what are they doing uh, when they get there? So uh, in Salisbury, 200 feet, inch and three quarter, uh, and then um, a smooth bore tip with the 15, 16 tip on that is what we're running. Um, and we have our first assignment for that is going to be two engines, a truck, and uh, upon a arrival and we confirm it's a working fire uh we automatically go to the second alarm and uh and go from there so um, that's that's what we do um so um chief wanted or somebody else want to go from there and and rattle off their their setup sure um what's kind of funny i just have to tell this story um when i first came on a job the first you know, a few years, I was in 17 truck. I could vividly remember coming into work, you know, and, you know, how the firehouse has that smell, you know, all, it's everywhere, you know. And I could remember going into the kitchen and, you know, saying, hey, you know, what did you guys do last night? We always ask that question. How was your night? You know, and uh, they'd be like, ah, nothing, nothing, nothing going on. Just, just a project fire, <laughs> you know, like. It wasn't even viewed as like, you know, the guys didn't even take it like it was a real, like a real job. You know, I don't, I don't know when that all changed, but uh, I would say, I don't even know, 20 years ago, maybe now we, we changed our signals. We used to give a 1075, which is a working fire. We use, we use 10 codes for everything and it was, everything was a 1075. And then they, they switched over in, in um, buildings that are, above six stories, fireproof, we have a code 1077. And that, that gives us uh, four engines plus an extra engine for the high-rise nozzle and another engine for the CFR. So it's like a total of six engines. Uh, let's see. How many trucks now? Four trucks plus another truck for ventilation, a fast truck, a rescue, a squad, I know, right? Uh, three battalion chiefs, a deputy chief. So, you know, we have a lot of manpower um, when it comes to a high-rise fireproof multiple dome. And each of our engines is staffed. Most of them is just staffed with three firefighters and a, a driver and, and an officer. Uh, a few of them have the extra firefighter. So, you know, those four engines, we're talking about, you know, every engine having three guys on the back step. So each firefighter will bring a what we call a rolled up. They reach 50 feet, two and a half, 
Um, and then there's the standpipe bag kit that has all the tools, you know, the, the door chocks and the whatever you need. The, the, the big thing is to have the outlet for the, uh, the gauge, the outlet gauge that um, reads the, the PSI. Um, now they went electronic with that. Um, smooth bore, inch and, a, inch and an eighth nozzle. And, uh, but now, just in the last two months, I'd say, we went to now, I don't know if everybody's got it. I, you know, we got so wrapped up with this COVID, but I know that we now have the lead length is two inch. And it's all light, it's lightweight hose. And the lightweight hose is only for the, the high-rise fireproof multiple dwellings, right? And I could give you the numbers, but it's, it's not really important. But it's much lighter. Um, I don't know how they, they did that, but it's a, it's a much lighter hose. So, um, so that's what we're running. And the, and the first engine and the second engine will team up to get that first line operation. So Chief, real good. quick, uh, had a question come in. Your fast truck. That's, that's yeah. your RIT truck? RIT, yeah. Okay. Sorry, thank you. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Chief. Yeah, um, in Ocean City, we we had uh, uh, four sections of two and a half inch um, with an inch and an eighth tip. Um, and recently, we did a lot of testing. Our manpower is much less than six engines, four trucks, three battalion chiefs, yeah. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, uh, so we really do have light staffing. So we really can look at having eight to ten people on scene, um, and then in a period of time before we get more help. It's just how we operate. So we did extensive testing and all kinds of crazy stuff. But I won't tell you about all that. But what I will tell you is that we ended up with four sections of the uh, two inch with two and a half inch couplings, and we actually went down to a a, a one inch tip. Um, mostly because of the kinking problems in the stair towers. Um, staging hose is great, um, but staging hose causes kinks, especially when you get the lower pressures and like standpipes and things like that. Um, I know Salisbury runs at inch and three quarter, but we had the, the challenge of elevation. So, you know, when you go up, you know, 20, 25 stories, um, the inch and three quarters just not going to get enough pressure in our systems. Um, so, with the two inch, we can where our target is uh, two hundred over two hundred gallons a minute. We get like two fifteen with a one inch tip, and we stacked it on top of a, um, a inch and an eighth tip. So if you made an apartment door and you had a, a wind driven fire and you needed more flow and you didn't have that needed that distance as much, they could spin off and go to that um, inch and an eighth tip uh, and change it out like that. And then just like uh, Chief Sheridan said, we have a an officer's bag with a thirty degree angle so it doesn't kink down at the floor when you're getting ready and uh we got an inline pressure gauge um to to control it at the standpipe so um that's pretty much what we carry um but our our manpower is much much less so we i trevor when he worked with us he always said it as a great thing is we have to be really the best one line fire department we can possibly be because that first line for us is a just a, a really huge deal for us if, if we if we don't get it right um, a lot of really bad things can happen. So that's what we have in Ocean City. Thanks, Bobby. Trevor? All right. What we're running is something very similar. It's kind of a hybrid of everything you've talked about. And uh, as Bobby had mentioned, 
I, I always did have that philosophy that you know, an engine company, especially with one with lesser staffing, needs to really have that mentality that you're a one-line fire department. Not that you can't do more. That's not the point behind it. But the emphasis on getting that first line in service as quickly and as accurately and as best as possible was our bread and butter. And that's what we really needed to be good at. And a lot of the other things fell in place. Um, we're where we're on a barrier island uh, where I am, very similar to Ocean City. We don't have special services right on our tail. And we also have the uh, added dynamic of very active train lines that sit between us and some of our uh, next new companies that are coming in for mutual aid. So with that being said, sometimes um, even with the you know, the best circumstances, when the when the CSX train comes through, your next new companies or especially your truck companies might be delayed in getting to you. Um, we're running uh, four bundles of two and a half inch line. Now, what we've done is it's kind of a modified Denver load that we put together in the fact that we need to be able to horseshoe it around our air packs and keep our hands free because we do have very uh, you know light staffing, just like most people throughout the United States. And to that end, and I'm going to ask uh, Chief Sheridan and you guys to speak about this also, um, the previous mindset for us, uh, and I'd say collectively just kind of you know, in, the, in the U.S., was we did a lot of SOP-based operations. And you, whether it's based on riding assignments or the first engine shall do this, second engine shall do that, first truck, second truck, and it's very specific. Uh, Ocean City, we always had that dynamic. We didn't know uh, if our second truck was going to come from our municipality or especially on the north end of town, it could have been a mutual aid company coming from Delaware the way we ran or from across the bridge in the Pines or Berlin uh, in, in Midtown and South End. So that being said, um, in my department's SOPs, and we've done a collective thing throughout the county, we've kind of transitioned away from SOP-driven operations and gone to priority-based operations, meaning that let's say that you, the three of you are coming in, I'm the initial uh, first arriving officer or first arriving chief, I've established a command, or even the folks arriving on the engine, uh, they get there, and when I, when I show up as the chief officer, they can give me a rundown and say, hey, chief, out of the top eight priorities, we've got numbers one through three done. And I know exactly what that means because we don't know if the second engine was out of place or arrived in a different order. Uh, and we, we don't have the luxury, unfortunately, of really heavy, uh, heavy staffing right down the street. So to that end, um, kind of getting back to the equipment, we're looking at the priority base, but also saying, all right, let's uh, Let's get a water supply established to the building, get the alarm pulled, make sure we're taking into account evacuation of the occupants of the building, get some good recon either from the panel and start to get that first line in service because we're going to have to marry up other responding units just like we did in Ocean City with the ambulance or the paramedic units. Sometimes we have to drop them off and they go to suppression to augment the initial suppression units. And then uh, you know, second and third do uh, paramedic units would actually take the medical on the scene. Um, we're carrying the officer's bag just like anything else with the chocks, extra wheel, pair of vice grips, uh, so forth and so on, a 30 degree elbow that goes down to an inline pressure gauge. And uh, we're also running the uh, one inch tip at the end of the two and a half. And it's a stack tip like Bobby had mentioned. Um, one of the things that I know we challenge ourselves with uh, you know, in Ocean City and here as well is how well the standpipe systems are maintained. I mean, I know they're tested annually, but we had a really uh, bad habit of trying to crank those things up and overpressuring them. And uh, so we sometimes have to go to alternate operations just to be able to get, uh, you know, get the lines going. But the other thing was too, what came out mathematically, and I know Bobby's a very numbers driven guy, mathematical guy, 
but sometimes what came out mathematically wasn't what occurred on the upper floors, um, especially buildings that didn't have auxiliary fire pumps in them. When we get up to the upper floors of them, we weren't getting the flow rate that the, uh, the math came out with. So we would actually have to take a flow meter up there and go through the process, which is a good thing of actually flowing water. Don't just take the math into account, but also verify it. You know, you can trust the numbers, but you also got to verify and to make sure there's not a different variable in there, um, you know, with your hose, with the standpipe system, et cetera. So, um, you know, basically that's what we're running as a, as a first in engine company, uh, as far as the, our, our complement of hose, uh, it's 50 foot bundles and, you know, each, each person takes a bundle up and some extra tools and each riding position has its own assignment. So it's also riding position based as far as what you're carrying with you for the type of occupancy. Cool. Cool. So, um, now that we got, we kind of talked about what we're all doing and it sounds like we're all pretty similar. Um, you know, we've got, you know, three guys with a lot of command experience, a lot of experience in general. Um, so, when you guys have responded to these high rise incidents, you know, what have been some, some pearls of wisdom or some things you're like, Hey, I want to remember that for the next time, because this is something, this is something I know that it either didn't work well and we're going to change it. We're going to do it a different way, or this is something that we need to do um, and, and keep things going in a good direction. So what are some things that, that you guys saw were some good stuff? Um, I'll give you one and we'll turn it over to you, Sheridan. Um, you know, when I first started in Ocean City, we used to carry the inch and three quarter like you were talking about. We carried in a thing called a Clemens pack, was a guy out of Baltimore City came up with that. Uh, 130 pounds of love sitting on your trying to carry it up there. Um, it was just very, very difficult uh, to move around. I actually like the two and a half inch or even the two inch better than that. That was to do. Um, however, uh, we went on a large um, fire in a uh, high rise and uh, we don't have a truck company to kind of find a fire for us. So we kind of dove into a stairwell and we went up with this big old bag of stuff and we took it back up and we looked all the way down the hallway and it was in fact way down by the other stair tower. So we kind of had to break everything back down and kind of move back down again. So I guess the pearls of wisdom um, and, and I hope Danny can talk a little bit more about it is you really got to know which unit this fire is in or the area of the building this fire is in because when you get multiple stairwells uh 200 feet with 50 feet just to get up to that floor it, it can be pretty limiting for us and it was that particular day for us so uh, chief sheridan um talk to us a little bit about it well I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh i was actually gonna talk about that a little bit um you know you have to understand one thing about the fdny is that we have two types of high-rise sops we have our high-rise fireproof multiple dwellings and we have our high-rise office buildings and sometimes there's crossover, right? And the big difference being, though, is that in a high-rise fireproof multiple dwelling, we have compartmentalization, right? Which means that we could have a long hallway, 100 feet, but we have apartments, right? And so when the doors are closed, we're able to compartmentalize the fire, right? You don't have that luxury in an office building because a lot of office buildings have big, wide-open office plans, right? But in the high-rise bulletin, in the FDNY, um, the first thing they talk about is, A, determine the fire floor, and then, B, verify it, right? So what we'll do in a high-rise in an office building is we have the luxury of having a truck company that can go find the fire. That's, I, I think of them as like recon, right? They go up, and they're going to do some recon. And what I do, this is what I do from the chief's car, right? For me, it all starts as soon as I get the alarm. 
right? Because I know my buildings pretty well. And I know the ones that have the long hallways and I know the ones that have the, the scissor stairs with the shorter hallways. And uh, that's what you're talking about is it's really pertinent, right? Because if you have the long hallway, you have the stairwells on either side, right? And it could be, if you miss, you, you got a long way to go down a very long hallway. Um, the luxury of having scissor stairs is that they're, they're right in the middle of the core of the building and it, it kind of equidistant. So if you mess up, you know, it's just a matter of what you're going to determine as the attack stair or the evacuation stair, right? And then stick to that, right? Um, if I if I get a report from my truck company, chief, we got a fire on the eighth floor. It's in the, let's say, the B apartment. Um, I'm going to recommend using the A stair for the attack stairs, right? I get that out on the air. Everybody knows that the A stair is the attack stair. So we want to determine uh, the fire floor, but then we want to verify it. And then um, what you said is, is very, I can see it happening very easily, is that we don't want to stretch to the wrong location. And we don't ever want to stretch above the fire. So in a, it's the SOP for the, the high-rise office buildings that the engine waits in the lobby until they verify the, um, the fire floor. And then they'll either walk up if it's seven or below, or they'll take the elevator up two floors below. And then they'll, uh, the engine officer, the first two engine officer will work with the truck, first two truck, and they'll coordinate um, which is the attack stairway, which is the evacuation stair. Um, some buildings have more than two stairs. Um, some have three or four. So the rest of them become evacuation, which we have to maintain on the fire floor. Those doors closed. The only door that should be open should be the attack stair. Um, once we commit to that attack stair, we have to make sure that the stairs are clear above, right? We don't want to be opening the door when people are still coming down. We want to try to um, kind of funnel them over to the evacuation stairs, right? And keep that attack stair for, for attack. So um, that's that's something that we do, um, you know, is just uh, verify what I do. So from what I do from the car, I have a system, right? Um, we get usually on a high rise, we get lots of calls, right? People are calling, and I listen to what they say, right? So I start making mental notes. Uh, the dispatcher will call me, all right, Bronx to Battalion 3. We're getting calls from 8J, 9J, 10J. So I start thinking, okay, well, I know the fire has got to be at least below the 8th floor or on the 8th floor. And if they're saying smoke, all right, then I'm, I'm trying to think of, okay, what's going on here, right? Is it a compactor? Is it a food on a stove? Is it a rubbish fire in the hallway? And then you'll get that one call. It'll be, uh, okay, Bronx to Battalion 3. We're getting reports of fire in 5 Charlie. So now I know 5 is, is my spot. Like, we're not going above 5, you know. And uh, so what's really, like, yes, for a tip, what I think you need to do, I, I don't know if you guys drive yourselves or you have an assistant, but someone should have a piece of paper and uh, write down, start writing down all the apartments because you're gonna get, you're gonna get tons of them. And I did this for a buddy of mine. He was actually had this horrific fire in the city, and we were both working. And he kept getting. It was a 40 story building. He got at least 100 apartments to check, and I was writing them down for him. And I was texting him because we, you know, we're close, you know. And I, I was texting him the, on his phone, and um. I, I had asked at some point the dispatchers, I said, well, instead of telling us all these apartments, you know, over the air, 
we have this like little mobile data terminal on the rig. I said, why don't you just send me a, a message with all the appointments on it so I could just tear it off and then I'll have it. You know, why, why do I have to take time out or my aide to take time out to start writing all these appointments down? Because what invariably happens in these buildings is that in this day and age, with especially post 9-11, everybody is very concerned. Um, you know, I had one probably about two months ago. And I, I'll tell you, too, um, sometimes fires that are not in apartments, but like, let's say, in a compactor or in a hallway, like kids will light up uh, a couch or a chair in the stairwell or in a hallway, could be worse than an apartment fire because, you know, now the, the whole – it's out. It's out of the, the box, you know. And um, so I, I had this guy telling me – he was very proud of himself, too. And uh, he's like, Chief, he goes, I'm just letting you know, I knocked on all these doors. I evacuated this whole building. I said, yeah, you just took all these people that were safe in their apartment and brought them into, like, you know, like a, this charged – I mean, the smoke was like – you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. I think 10 people went to the hospital. There was, like, at least 200 people in the street. And it made sense because, you know, everyone just cut, went around banging on doors and evacuating buildings. So, um, anyway um, – that, that's the whole thing is just is controlling the evacuation is, is really critical. Um, you know, shelter in place, man. It's a fireproof building, type one. Unless the fire is in their apartment, you know, really no need for them to leave. And uh, I, so going back to what I was saying about the phone calls, um, people are very concerned and they're very, very quick to leave their apartments. You know, um, I know – a bunch of, I, I forget when it was in Cook County in, in Chicago, uh, their their office building. I think I want to say six people got trapped in a hallway in a in a stairwell, and they over were overcome with smoke and, and wound up um, you know succumbing and dying to you know from their injuries. So sometimes people put themselves in a worse way, you know, by leaving their apartment. So. I would, I would just advocate for a way to um, – I know you guys are limited on manpower. That's a problem because I, I have the luxury of, of having four, four truck companies rescuing a squad. I could break them up into – they could take every five floors. They could even take every three floors because you have to reassure the people because they, all they want to do is leave. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. So that's just, uh, just one little tip I have on, on just – Size up or whatever, you know. A um, couple of things to share, too. This dovetails in with what Danny's saying. Uh, these might not be pearls of wisdom. They're more like cubic zirconias of wisdom, if you will. But um, I see a lot of brothers popping up on the uh, on the screen that we've certainly you know, been on a lot of fire scenes with. And they'll, they'll appreciate my next comments. Um, as, as far as the size up goes, one of the things I've gotten in a habit of is not only for myself, but for the first arriving units is really encouraging them to start their size up well before they get on the scene. I'm talking about blocks away. And like Chief Sheridan said, you know, he knows his buildings well. Uh, you know, Frank Brannigan, he preached that. Know your buildings, know your buildings, know your buildings. I can't agree more. Um, there's some buildings we go to with great frequency. There's some that we don't. And I always like to say that every call is a drill, even on a, a medical run. Yeah, we're going to take care of the patient. I'm not saying we're not doing that. But be observant. Keep your head on a swivel. You pick up a lot of stuff even going on a routine call in the building. You're going, to, you're going to learn where things are and where they aren't. But what I'm getting at is when you're going up to the building, uh, you know, as made the first in officer or command level officer, 
I'm looking several blocks away to refresh myself on that building, no matter how well I think I know it. I'm looking for the dog boxes on the roof to see where my elevator machine rooms are. I'm looking for where my, my stairwells are going to come out on the roof of you know, maybe some means of egress for people in the building. I couldn't agree more with Danny about, you know, we're, we're looking at the priorities. Where's the fire floor? Where's the floor above? Where's the floor below? Where are we going to, where are we going to put those initial crews? Um, same thing with the crews. When they, they get there, they should know that building well enough. They, they have scissor stairs. They have a set of return stairs. Can they do a well stretch in that building? These are some things that right off the bat, and for those who aren't familiar with the well stretch going up essentially between the rails of, of the return stairs, um, what I was taught a long time ago still holds true. You can take a, a gloved hand with your fire glove on and get it between the, the railings, uh, you know, between the landings, and that's enough room for a charged deuce and a half. You know, it depends on the size of your hand, obviously, but those little tidbits help you become faster at getting that first line in service. Um, the other thing is, you know, making sure we understand the standpipe operations in that building. Um, you, did we go there the last time and see how, uh, if there was any obstructions, is there anything usually parked in front of it or bushes? Uh, you, or our, our, uh, our engine chauffeurs, whoever's putting that line into the FDC, are they looking in there and make sure no one shoved a soda can or bottle caps or rocks or bags of dope or anything else in there? And it's really about that recovery also to say, hey, look, things are going to happen on the fire ground. You're going to bust a standpipe. There's going to be debris in there. Whatever the case might be, somebody left the valve open on an upper floor. There's vandalism. But how do we go from plan A to plan B pretty quickly? So um, you know, those are a lot of the things that I like to look at as far as the the pre-arrival. I'm not talking about the pre-planning where we have a good uh, amount of information either in our binders or mobile data terminals. And uh, you know, I do the same thing. I keep a, a tactical worksheet on a clipboard. And as I'm going down the road, you know, making some notes or whatever might not be in that mobile data terminal, but again, start looking at that building and and seeing where where different features of that building are. Uh, in Bobby's video, does the uh, Capri, I believe, the Capri condos or Capri high rise, where it was a uh, fire on the roof. Sometimes we get fires that are dumpster fires in the trash level at, at the uh, grade level of the building, and we've got a really nice, impressive column of smoke coming out the roof. So don't be that moth to the flame. Go in, you know, look at that uh, alarm panel especially the addressable systems that we have now. Um, I've seen people make the tactical mistake. They go in and say, oh, we got a smoke detector activation on the 19th floor. Well, if they scroll back through real quick, they saw that it started on the 17th floor. And like Chief Sheridan said, you're, you know, we don't want to stretch above that fire and get caught. So go back through, make sure somebody who's in that lobby control or who gets to that fire alarm panel goes back through and see which, which detection device is tripped and in what order. Um, in our fire alarm control rooms in Ocean City, I'm, I'm assuming they're still this way. It's been it's hard to believe it's been almost four years um, since I worked there. But some of those had a printout that we could take it. We could take it off the uh, the rip and run and look at it in the fire alarm control room and see exactly which uh, device is tripped in what order. So really, it's um, kind of about getting that system down. Like, like Chief Sheridan was saying, you kind of get where you're comfortable, but also. You refresh yourself on those buildings as much as you can, learn as much about the buildings as you can, and even look at maintenance schedules. Um, you know, there are certain times a year where the exterior of that building might be just littered with scaffolds and swing stages or heck towers that you might not be able to get truck companies into as easily. Um, you know, so it, it comes a lot with pre-planning. And the last thing I'll say uh, before I kick it over to Bobby is really also look at your, your staffing. This is going to be very trying on them. Um, and some of you guys remember just the really nice meals we would cook at the fire station and we'd be all fat, dumb and happy and go, oh, 
I hope we don't have a call. And that's when we got the call that the elevator was out and you know, we're jaking up 12 flights of stairs, uh, almost you know, throwing up just to get up to a, get up to a fire floor. So with that being said, um, you know, it, it, we have to have relief crews coming in pretty quickly and not be hesitant in calling for additional alarms, especially in areas that you know, the majority of us work in. Uh, to get those relief crews, because I, I can guarantee you, uh, especially in, in an area like where I work, it's 86 degrees, uh, you know, 88 degrees sometimes in January. So your your people are going to get dogged pretty quickly, and you need to be able to have those relief cycles to you know, keep on going. But before we before we continue on, uh, we got had another question from Timmy Jershad, uh, and a shout out by the way to Big Tim Jershad. I believe today is his birthday. Uh, but Timmy's question, we go and uh, have a fire on the third floor. Do we have different tactics uh, as opposed to, you know, a third floor versus a 33rd floor? So what do you guys, um, what do you guys have for that? Well, just, just because I know who's asking this question, if he's asking the difference between the, the third and the 33rd floor, I tell him it's 30, 30 floors. But uh, anyway, go ahead. Sorry, I had, I had to throw that one at him. <laughs> uh, Danny, go ahead, my friend. We'll talk about um, that. Yeah, I mean, the big the big difference would, would definitely be the wind. I mean, I would be more concerned on the 33rd floor um, about ventilation, you know, horizontal vent. Because on the third floor, depending, I mean, I know Ocean City and I know Florida, you guys are probably a lot of, a lot of them facing the beach. But, um, you know, generally speaking, um, the buildings I work with, you know, you could be on the first floor, second floor, and the wind could be negligible. And then, like my mom, she lives on a 20th first floor. And I know that sometimes when uh, she's got the window open, I, I can't hardly even open the door, you know. So, you know, once once that wind uh, gets hold, I mean, it, it's just a whole game changer. I'll tell you, I remember a time we had a fire. I was a probie. I barely knew what I was doing. And I had the can. And I was working with this guy, Pete. He was probably one of the best firemen that I've ever seen. I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, the guy was truly a phenomenon. And um, I knocked the fire down with the can. And uh, we went to go into the back. And then someone, one of the guys on the roof started taking out the windows up on the 21st. And the room exploded. And I'm talking about it wasn't just like a little flashover. It exploded. And we dove into the bedroom and closed the door and... Um, he wasn't happy, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, that might not have happened on the third floor, you know, but it happened on the 21st floor because it was in the, it was facing the, uh, we have up that high in the Bronx, we have a river that, you know, we've got the East River and the Holland River. And when you're up that high, there's nothing blocking it. And it's, I'm telling you. So I would say, the, tactically speaking, like hose and, and truck ops and forced entry and all that, not much difference, but. The wind is going to be the big factor on the 33rd floor compared to the third floor. And, and I'd like to kind of swing back to the um, standpipe operations a little bit. But depending on the buildings, obviously, if you have an exterior balcony hallway type building uh, versus an interior hallway type building, there, there's going to be some variances in that. What I look at, if you have an issue with the standpipe, then you might be able to do a rope stretch up over a, a railing or you know, take take something where you can bring a, a supply line up and over. 33rd floor, that's going to be, you know, you, you might be going to like a flying standpipe up you know, to a certain floor, but then you're putting a truck company out of service. 
by using them as a flying standpipe. So I think that um, you're just specific to standpipe operations. You have more latitude and recovery probably at a lower floor than you would on an upper floor. You're going to have to probably work a bit harder on an upper floor is what I would uh, say in general. Yeah, um, I, I know <clears throat> I know we talk a lot about uh, we don't maintain the standpipe systems in town. So uh, we always talk about if, if you can reach it with a with, with a, a pre-connected hand line, we have a 350-foot, um, two-inch hand line. Uh, sometimes that might be your better move because you got 150 feet to get to the floor. You know, if you get to the third floor uh, and then you have this, you know, with a 350-foot line, you got some working line left. So if sometimes if it can make it, we can we can do it that way. So, uh, but I totally agree with you, Sheridan, on the wind. It's just, and, you know, the other thing about high-rises Sometimes when you get up these upper floors, the wind's a totally different direction. Mm-hmm. It's not even the direction you think it is on the street. It's just it's crazy. And then because we stack these high rises next to each other, it's like they create their own friggin' wind. You know, we get we get northeasters and those types of storms uh, in Ocean City, and the, the the buildings pick up the speed of the wind depending on the angle of the wind and things like that, and little wind tunnels and things like that. So uh, I wanted to cover the other question we were talking about, which was we were talking about the stairs. Um, and, and the importance of them. And, and because we're light staffed, one of the things we really harp on is uh, when you open that door to whatever unit you have, whatever apartment you have going on, uh, you need to be ready to go. Um, you know, you need not have someone go ahead of there and open that door because when you prop that door open to run that line down there and they pop that door open to the apartment, if it's got a window let go or a window open or a slider open uh, or any of those types of things, you've created a chimney effect and uh, you know, the MGM grand fire in LA is just one, or I'm sorry, in um, Las Vegas is just one example of 80 some people died in there. 60 of them were in stairs. So from a firefighting perspective, you know, when you open that door up to run that line down that hallway and you take that door, it's go time. So we really, when we talk about a one line fire department, that line has to be ready to go before you prop that door open to run that line down. I know we talk about closing the doors because of the ventilation impact studies, but the reality is you're going to have to have that door open to stretch that line down there, and you're going to have that door open in the apartment, and you just need to go. So I think it's really important um, that once you once you breach that stairwell, people are going to be trying to go out that stairwell anyway, and if they don't get, go down, they tend to go back up. And I know they've had other, other situations across the country where, you know, a dozen people be trapped at the top of a stair tower where they locked it so people wouldn't go play on the roof or whatever. So um, it's just important that once you open that door, you're breaching that stairwell. And that's, you know, something, something that we really have to think about a lot, especially right on the ocean with the wind we have. And Bobby, let me uh, throw something else in real quick. So I want Danny to chime in on this too. Um, one of the phenomenon that we run into a lot, especially in the, uh, in the summer months in ocean city and you know, where I am pretty much year round is understanding how the smoke control movement may be different in that building during different times of day. And, you know, I'll give you my, my little, you know, uh, visual aid here. You you got your high rise, the sun's beating on this side of the building for half the morning. It starts creating that chimney effect on this side. Well, the stairwell, the elevator shaft on this side might naturally start drawing the smoke up and hitting other devices where across the hallway, where it's been cool since the sun went down the night before, it might actually start dropping down. So, you know, you, you have to take that in consideration that your smoke movement on that on the same fire, same unit, same floor might be a little bit different depending on whether it's, you know, 12, 12 noon, 12 midnight or 3 a.m. 
just because of the heating and cooling on the different sides of the building um, and how it's going to draw into those uh, open shafts inside the building. So I think uh, it kind of dovetails in a little bit with what uh, you know, Bobby's talked about. And I know the guys in Ocean City are you know, well aware of that phenomenon that, um, and that's why they're so vigilant about making sure they get good intel and good recon as far as you know, the, uh, the fire floor and then confirming that fire floor like uh, Chief Sheridan was talking about. Cool. Hey, Chief Sharon, I got a, a question for you. I think these guys want to hear some uh, some real stuff here tonight. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you guys set up your line and the stair towers and high rises and how you get ready to advance and what how you set up for a high rise fire um, for the engine company perspective. Right. So, again, we, we have the luxury of having dedicated ladder companies and dedicated engine companies. Right. So. Everyone kind of stays in their own box, their sandbox. Um, I heard a few of my fellow chiefs sometimes we're of the of the mindset that if the first two truck company, if the only thing they do with that fire is get control of the apartment door, they've done their job, right? Um, I can't even emphasize how important it is to get control of that apartment door, right? Because if that door is open, right, and it always astounds me, you know, like I'll, I'll sometimes I wear a different hat. Like I'll be the all hands chief, you know, and I'll be up on the fire floor. <laughs> and it happened once recently, and I was just, I was like a scratch in my head, you know, like the, um, I heard the irons, I heard the halogen hitting, uh, getting hit by the axe, and they were forced in the door. Meanwhile, it was lights out, like the, you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. Now, if you open a door to the stairway and you couldn't see the hand in front of your face, what's your first assumption? The door's open. The door's open, right. So would we be forcing a door? <laughs> right? You see where I'm going with that, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, common sense. You know what I mean? Like, So that's, that, that's the first thing that we need to do, right? Before we do anything is if we open that uh, uh, stairwell door, right, and you hit the nail on the head, Trevor, um, that's a great indicator, right? You look from the street, you know, as you're responding, you look up. I just happen to know my buildings. I, I could tell you, you give me an address, I'll tell you whether it has scissor stairs or if it's, you know, if it's a long hallway type setup, you know. Certain buildings I know have those, and I know certain have have the, the, um, the scissor stairs. But so that being said, um, you know, if the firefighters get to the fire floor, the truck company, and they open that stairwell door and it's lights out, then they have to get control of the door. That's the first thing that we have to do before we do anything, right? Um, they'll call the engine, you know, okay, ladder five forward and engine nine six, you know, we need a line. They'll, they'll start making their work to the, to the floor below and hook up on the on the floor below. It doesn't matter whether you hook up in the A stair or the B stair, right? Because actually sometimes they're actually mislabeled. Um, the building manager will just go right up the line, do AAA and BBB, nuance AA, right? But whatever. But um, they'll hook up in the attack stair. And um, once they they flake out the line on the floor below, I, I was a big advocate of that when I was a captain and a lieutenant. I like to have the guys – Put the, the folds next to each other, hook them up. The, the control man flushes out the, the outlet, you know, attaches the inline gauge, make the attachments, 
Nozzle Man puts his bundle up on his shoulder and he starts making his way up, flaking the hose out. The backup firefighter, right, he's the, the middle guy. He's doing all the grunt work. He's laying out the hose and um, then he's going up to join the Nozzle Man. If the smoke is still in the hallway and they don't have control of that door, they're going to charge the line in that hallway door, right? Now, here's something I'm a big advocate of. And if you can look back at the St. Regis fire in Houston, I forget the year, Janky was a captain. And um, unfortunately, I think the wind must have taken the windows or something. Something changed where he got caught up and uh, maybe he might have ran out of air. I'm not sure. But if you look at the uh, the way they hooked up, and I'm not trying to be a Monday morning quarterback, but I'm, I'm saying this so guys could – don't please don't ever repeat this. But they hooked up on the fire floor in the cabinet in that hallway. If you look at the pictures afterwards, it's a big bowl of spaghetti. You know, that hose is just like a big mess. And I always used to preach that I want that line coming out of the attack stairway almost like without kinks. So I can't tell you how many times, even when I was way back to even when I was a fireman, that you'd go up on a fire floor and the hose is just like a big bowl of spaghetti. You know, it's just a mess. And uh, God forbid, you know, the wind windows fail and you got to get out in a hurry. You want to follow that line out and hopefully it's going to take you out to the doorway. You don't want to be going in circles, right? So um, that's what I'm, 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 I'm a big advocate, a big fan of that stretch being like nice and neat, like nice and, and, and uniform, you know, use all available spaces, use the floor below, use the uh, – Use the stairwells. I like seeing like half a length going up the, the, the like the half landing to kind of use gravity to kind of feed that line going down. Um, you know, station one guy at the door to control the, you know, the, the choke point there. And then the officer and the nozzle man, the backup man, uh, firefighters make their way down the hallway. And if that if that door is not controlled, that line has to be charged. Right. There's just. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, you, if the door is controlled, right, if the truck company or whoever has control of that door, um, it's acceptable to take that line, uh, not charge, to the door and then charge it at the door, right? Because we never, we never enter the fire area without water. And when the door is not controlled, right, the fire area is now that hallway, right? Mm -hmm. um, I remember uh, a fire we had in Harlem, I was a lieutenant, and we were second to engine, and we were helping the first to engine stretch. And we had this guy, um, he wasn't too bright. He, he didn't last long on the fire department. <laughs> I don't think that was his calling, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to watch what I say, but um, I'm being polite. But he, um, there were hallways, uh, there was uh, windows in a hallway, right? It was one of those types of projects that had hallways, hallway windows, right? So, I'll never forget this. Uh, the first two engine, I was at the door and my, my two or three guys. So there was seven of us. Next thing you know, you hear this loud crash. Bang, right? Glass gets, gets taken and the wind took. Thank God it was going behind us because I felt, I felt the wind on the back of my neck. It just came whooshing past me. That room that was the couch exploded into a uh, into an inferno and it had one of those like sliding glass doors like you know and these people they had a, a cockatoo or something like in a cage so, 
<laughs> anyway, after after the fire was all knocked down, we had barbecued cockatoo <laughs> on, on the terrace. <laughs> this poor bird didn't know what hit him, but um, no. But it's you know it's it's the wind, man. It's just it could it, it's a killer if it, if you don't control it, man. You know we go through we've learned the the hard way. You know through. Like my friend John Buckeye says, he says everything that we do is written in blood, you know. And um, we learn the hard way the the effects of wind. And if we don't control the wind, you can't be. I, I've seen it firsthand numerous times. And if guys just take take windows without checking with the boss or making sure there's a line in place, you can put guys in harm's way. And it's the real deal. It's it's not a joke. I mean, when you're up twenty stories and that wind could could gust at 25, 30 miles an hour without a problem. And that that turns a couch into like an inferno in, in seconds, and I've seen it numerous times. Yeah. Thanks, Chief Sharon. You know, yeah, thanks, it's funny you bring. Oh, sorry. Sorry, um, sorry to cut in. We we did have another question, and uh, Brad, I apologize. Uh, Brad Borkowski. I hope I said that right. If not, um, just give us a thumbs down. Whatever. Sorry, we'll work on that. Um, but Brad had a question. Is there a preference to the inch and three quarter or two inch, two and a half high rise packs? Uh, what do you guys, what do you guys think about that? You really, you really want to know what I want to want to say about that? <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, I, I have to jump in on this because I'm very passionate about it. Um, you guys have been saying this and I always, I used to preach this to you. Sometimes you have one shot. You want to get that first line you know, make the difference, right? And if I was going out hunting elephants, I, I am not going to bring a 22 with me, you know? I'm going to try to bring an elephant gun. That's what I want, you know? And I know, I believe me, I trust me, I know. I was a fireman for nine years. Um, I, even though I was in a truck company, I was in a squad, but I get it. The two and a half is not pleasant, but no one said that this job was easy, right? You know, and... Sometimes you got to put on those whatever big boy pants, whatever that saying is, and you got to take that two and a half. Because if that if those windows fail and you're even with the two and a half, right? That's the least of it. And the windows fail, you're still not even going to do anything with that two and a half. But you got you're up 20, 20 stories, right? And you got inch and three quarter. If you want to just talk about friction loss alone, right? You know, twenty psi. For inch and three quarter, now you took, you you got sixty, right? So right right already you're already behind the eight ball, you know. Um, you know with a with a two and a half, you know the friction loss is minimal, and you get more water. It is what it is. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. um, I'm gonna have to say that you know I'm a big fan. I mean, my job. I can't believe that we were actually using the the two inch now as a lead length. Um, with the one-inch nozzle. If it's a two-inch, it's going with the one-inch nozzle, uh, with the one-inch tip. Um, but I don't know, man. You, you, you're up there, and uh, I remember talking to Nor- John Norman about, like, two and a half, and, you know, we're both on the same page. Um, you know, you get one shot sometimes. You know, it's it's, it's not easy to get that a second line up there. You know, oh, yeah. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very labor-intensive, you know, lugging up, Three lengths or whatever hose, and you know, so tripping go, over there. Hose. Yeah, go go with the big guns, man. You know, you could always, you know, if you don't need it, so what? But if you, 
it's better to have it not need it than uh you know not need it and not have it that's yeah. my that's my um my spin on it yeah the other the other side of it and she shared and hit on it is um you know with elevation um you know pre-1993 which is the majority of our high rises uh the 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 requirement is 65 psi at the top floor so uh you can only pump these things to 200 psi safely so if you start doing all the math i'm not gonna do math i know trevor i'm not gonna do math buddy that, but that's the first off, you know you're looking at you know if you i mean if you if you took an engine on the ground and went to a single story house and you stretch that line to go into a working fire and that guy pumped you at 65 psi what would you have to say to him when you were done with that fire? You'd say that was horrible. Yeah. You know, and that's what the high rises are going to provide you with. So we have a challenge with elevation in Ocean City that the elevation is a problem for us when you go to these smaller, the smaller hand lines. Um, you know, and the problem is we don't have a lot of fires. Uh, FDNY certainly has a lot more fires than, than, than we do on the East Coast or than anybody else. But we don't have these fires above the 18th floor and it's not really a problem until you're above the 18th floor. And the second reason we tried to stay with some larger lines in Ocean City was because our, our average unit size is not like New York City. Our average unit size in a residential is about 1,400 square feet. So essentially we have stacked single family homes with a common hallway for lack of a better term. And so when you put that 15, 20 floors up with wind and a wind to let go, uh, you got something going on. So. Um, you know, a lot of people run the engine three quarters still. It's just it's it's um it's it can be a limiting factor in a big fire, that's for sure. Hey Bob, I, I just did a little math for you, right? So I know the shellfish use a hundred math, G. So I got my pencil. Uh, just off the off the top, just quick let's say you had a fire on the twentieth floor, right? So you're looking at you know, we, we always say a hundred plus five for Per floor, so that's a hundred right there plus forty at the nozzle. That's two forty. Am I got that right? And well, what am I missing? I know. And then you have the friction loss. So you're talking about over two hundred anyway. Right. Alone with just the you know. Yeah, some departments overcome it uh, with uh, increasing their standard for the standpipe. I know a lot of. Uh, Cities are saying you can pump them at 300 and 400 and things like that. And um, we in Ocean City have experienced, and since I've been here, three standpipe failures. So, you know, playing with those pressure in these standpipes, the thing about this, and Chief Sheridan, you can talk about this. When you when you blow that standpipe and it's interconnected, you have changed the game in the world of engine companies. If you blow that standpipe out, that whole standpipe is done. And now you're talking about stretching three-inch lines up stairwells or on the exterior buildings, and the the um, what do you call it? The, the the response time for that is not good for fire growth. So, um, you know, that's one of the things about the standpipe systems is you try some guys try to cheat the pressure. Man, you blow that standpipe out, and you have got some big problems. And uh, lighter staff like we are, it's just even bigger problems. You know, I've never witnessed a standpipe explosion or whatever you want blowing it up firsthand but i had the chauffeur in 96 engine this guy Corey. Uh, he was just one of these guys that just he's just a, a cut above you know and i remember we had a a fire in a project on the 11th floor whatever it was and i really wasn't sure if we needed a line i mean the door they were forcing the door it was like it was like fort knox this guy had like four locks on the door so it was taking him a while and i could see the smoke 
coming out around the, the door jams, you know. So I kind of had a feeling it was like a food on the stove. I, I could smell it like it had that kind of food smell. But there was so much smoke. I told the guys, let's just start a stretch of line just, just for kicks, you know, be good practice. And um, nothing. I'm like, all right, I'm calling down. I'm like, you know, 9-6 to show for. I said, you know, we need water. He's like, chief, I cap, I'm, I'm working on it, you know. It turned out, he figured, he figured out in no time that it was the section valve on the, between the first floor and the basement. They, had shut, they were doing work on a, on a standpipe, and they had shut it down and never reopened it, you know. So he bypassed, he opened it up. But I tell you what they used to do, the old-time chauffeurs in 60 Engine, uh, they used to, um, they didn't even mess with the fire department connection because they couldn't trust them because it was such a drug-infested, crazy neighborhood. They would go right to the first floor, and they would backfeed the the outlet on the first floor. That was like almost like SOP. Like I don't even think they ever even bothered with the fire department connection. They went right to the first floor. And the trick with that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but um, the trick in a wet system is that they used to stretch into it, and um, they make their connection, and then charge it first, right? Charge it, and then slowly open it because – they told me if you do it the other way around, if you don't charge the line, it'll it'll empty out right back into the pumps, right? So I said that's. I mean, how many guys think of that? But you know, because I guess you have two forces meeting, you know. So open it slowly and then you know charge it at whatever two hundred and forty or whatever it's going to be, you know. And um, that's a good way to get around the uh, the fire department connection. Okay. Yep. Yeah, we just we just had a comment from uh, Jason Bloom. I'll throw it up here on the bottom real quick. Uh, anytime he's had a problem with a catastrophic event with the the standpipe, he's always uh, done the stand the flying standpipe from the tower ladder. Um, so um, mm-hmm. always always an option. Like I think Bobby mentioned it before. You you run that flying standpipe. You you dedicate that entire tower ladder for that. But if that's what you got to do, you, that's what you got to do. Um, mm-hmm. So, but always a always a good option. And again, it's one of those things that, yeah, you can do that, but make sure you're, you're training on that and you know, all right, Hey, this is the operation we're going to go with. And we're not fumbling around with, all right, well, we need this. We got to do that. You know, that if you're going to go with something that that's what you're going to go with and you know how to do it and you can do it well. So, you know, now that we're talking about this, I'm working tomorrow day, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Yeah, you guys are you guys are gonna have a, a failure. <laughs> I'm gonna have a standpipe explode on me. I've never had one. in in 34 years. I've never seen one explode. Now tomorrow I'm gonna go to work because I remember uh, Dave McGrail. Uh, I wrote something years ago for Fire Engineering, and uh, you know he wrote back something about standpipes exploding. I'm like, what is he talking about? I've never seen a standpipe explode before. You know, but I guess it's something that happens. I, I maybe in New York City the projects are. Maybe they keep their buildings in better shape or the pipes are better. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know one fire in Ocean City specifically. Um, I was I was down south and uh, fire was up north, and they charged the standpipe and they had water coming out every every door on the first floor because the they had a crack in the pipe. And then uh, I think it was just last week or the week before uh, we were doing high rise training and standpipe training in the the parking garage in Salisbury downtown. And as we're walking in, the the sergeant from the from the truck says, "Hey, look at that!" And right as the FTC came through the wall uh, and went um, parallel with the floor to go to the riser, 
you could just see enough daylight and the pipe was cracked where it came together. Wow. And that was a, that was a common uh, system. So from all the stairwells, the, the couple of other, other FDCs, like it all fed one. So it wasn't, wasn't like you could isolate that one spot. Wow. So. You know, okay. So when they renovated a lot of the uh, vacant buildings in the Bronx, they would put standpipes in and it would be a dry standpipe. And guys wouldn't even touch them. Like they acted like they weren't even there. I mean, cause it's only six story buildings. And, and I had this, I had this discussion with my guys when I was captain and I was for a year in 96 engine. And we had this one cluster of buildings that had a dry standpipe. And I told them, I said, you know, we're going to use the standpipe. And they're like, no, we're not. I said, yes, we are. And then, you know, we had this kind of, you know, and I'm the, now I'm the battalion commander. They're still in, in my battalion. And the captain and I are still like button heads over this freaking standpipe. So I don't know. I'll I tell you, we, the, they had a fire. I was actually in FDIC. And um, I had drilled on this building with my guys because I knew it was going to be a problem, right? It's one of these buildings. <laughs> See, in New York City, what happened was in, after the – the, the firestorm, whatever you want to call it, they built a lot of buildings under a federal code, right? New York City uh, building code is very stringent, but the federal code is a little bit, a little bit more loose, right? So we have in uh, in New York, they have what they look like. They look like little fireproof project buildings, but they're actually non-fireproof. And I found that the hard way, right? We had a job one time and. We thought it was all rubbish fire in the electrical closet. Next thing you know, we lost the whole top floor. So, you know, me, I, I this happens once. It'll never happen again, right? So we had a building like that in our district, and I took the guys out. We drilled on it, and, uh, you know, we went over to Standpipe, and I said, this is a, uh, this is not a fireproof building. It's a non-fireproof building. Everyone's on the same page. Sure enough, I'm out in Indianapolis, and they, they get a job in that building. And the first two engine, we weren't first two. Um, decided to stretch. It was 20 lengths of hose. And I said to him, I said, Billy, I said, you went to a third along. I said, why didn't you use this standpipe? Eh, <laughs> I don't trust those things. All right, so you stretched 20 lengths of hose. It probably took him about 15 minutes. Went to a third along when you could have stretched two lengths of hose, three lengths of hose right off the standpipe. So um, I'm a big fan of them. Um, I know um, if they're there... I want to use them, but some guys don't trust them. But in the fireproof buildings that we have, they, I've never seen one blow up. But um, I know in some of the renovated buildings and why not, guys have problems with them. They don't want to use them. So maybe that's why we don't see them blow up. <laughs> Trevor, I know. I think you said you had some questions. Yeah, I want uh, Chief Sheridan just to weigh in real quick on some stuff. Uh, a lot of times, tactically, you'll hear a lot of people talk about recon. So let's say we have a fire on the 21st floor. We get off two floors below the fire floor, and uh, we think that the fire's in 21F. Mm -hmm. And we send a member or an officer down to 19F to look at the layout. And you know, I know there's pros and cons with that. If you could talk about it you know, briefly, whether the layout's going to be the same, knowing your buildings. And then uh, the other thing I want you to weigh in on also is – some departments have a very stringent uh, SOP as far as counting the number of floors. Uh, my, my personal feeling and the way my SOP is set up is that we, we designate the floors exactly how it's uh, listed on the elevator indicator. So if you have 
uh, lobby, mezzanine, first, second, on up, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. That's how we designate the floors versus counting from the very grade level one, two, three on up. So would you mind weighing in on those two things? All right. So, uh, so as far as the layout, that's a, that's a great question. What I do, you, you're definitely correct in the fact that when they build these apartments in a line, they're all the same. The layout is going to be absolutely the same. And what I do, what I used to do when I was an officer in the engine is um, while the guys were stretching, I would get up to the floor below and, um, you know, do a quick, quick layout, you know, see what's going on. You know, so if the fire's on the fifth floor, I'd run it to the fourth floor and, and get a layout. And then I have a visual in my mind. And you know how I learned that? I learned that from this guy, Jimmy McCluskey. We used to call him Iron Man Jim McCluskey. He was a, he was a, a lieutenant in 60 engine when I was a, a fireman in 17 truck. And legendary guy. I mean, he was a 91 engine when they were burning the place down. And I always used to see him, like, duck into the floor below. And one day I asked him, I said, hey, Lou, I said, I got to ask you, like, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to get the layout. I said, oh, wow. So I brought that with me when I got promoted. That was like one of the tricks I took. The other way you could do it in uh, in the fireproof buildings, right, is that uh, I know they that they made a rescue in 26 truck back in the 80s uh, when I was a fireman. Uh, the roof man, the roof firefighter, went to the floor above, and he actually was on the radio talking the guys through it. You know, he's like, okay, you know, the bedrooms, are, you know, you go – go in 10 feet and there's a living room and they go another five feet to the left. There's a bedroom. And he actually walked this guy through and they, 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 they made a rescue. So I'm a big fan of getting a size up uh, from the, 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 the apartment either below or, or the, even you could do with the floor, floor above. You could have someone radio down to you as well. Kill two birds with one stone. They could affect ventilation while giving you a layout. Um, as far as counting floors, um, you know, like New York is pretty cut and dry, you know, like where I work. I'm in the Bronx. Maybe in Manhattan this becomes an issue because I know, like, when I was in Harlem, one of my complexes had, like, a like a mezzanine where they had, like, a, a school. You know, so actually the second floor was actually, like, the fifth floor, you know. I basically, you know, not that it's happened a lot to me, but I uh, I just go by what's on the number. You know, like whatever it says on the uh, on the, the landing, that's how. And, you know, once we're up there, you know, everything is really five floor and floor above. You know, we don't really we don't really say like we're floor on. We'll just say like, you know, I say like how's the searches on a five floor or how's the searches on a floor above or even two floors above. You know, but we I, we, I don't really use numbers a lot, you know, when I'm conversing on the fire ground. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's. Kind of how, how we do it. Yeah, it, it does, Danny. And because um, I know there's some controversy over that, especially, you know, I know in Ocean City, we had a lot of buildings that didn't have a 13th floor out of superstition. Right. So there's always a lot of confusion. We had uh, the one building on the north end. It's two towers. It's floors um, one through 10 and 11 through 20. But they're two separate buildings. So oh. the, 20th, the 20th floor is only 10 stories in the air. And then the uh, what is it? Uh, 99th Street Century one where the units go. Uh, in and, in and down on the ocean side and in and up on the bay side. So they, they actually split underneath the hallway. And what, what the floors go there to go like lobby three, seven, uh, nine, and they 11, and they skip 13 because it's unlucky and go to 14. It's, yeah, so there's some crazy stuff. I, I appreciate you waiting on that. Thanks, Dan.
All right. Well, we're at a little over an hour, uh, so let's um, let's go ahead and start wrapping it up. We'll kick it around the room one more time for the last little thoughts, uh, tips, tricks, anything like that. Um, so, Trevor, you want to you know, go first? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, first and foremost, uh, you know, thanks, everybody, for joining us tonight and doing a little Thirsty Thursday with us. Chief Sheridan, thank you so much for sharing your experience and uh, your background with us. It's It's been great. And I know we could go on for hours and hours and hours about the different parts and portions of uh, high-rise operations, but I think you hit on a lot of great stuff. Um, just a little side note, I went to visit a buddy of mine who worked up in a uh, 60-engine 17 truck, and they had gone out on a run. House. The, uh, the, the truck the truck went out on a run. I saw the ticket, and it said, uh, you know, look out for people on the roof. I'm like, hey, what happens? A lot of people evacuate to the roof. He goes, hell no. He said, they keep car batteries up there and drop them on the firemen and the uh, – and the cops when they come in, like, oh, so um, obviously, obviously a very welcoming neighborhood. Um, you know, they appreciate the the services they're receiving. So that's that's always uh, enlightening and, and good to hear. Now, but really appreciate you being here, uh, Chief. Uh, I know normally this past week we'd be wrapping up FDIC right now, and uh, you know it's it's unfortunate that we weren't able to get out there and uh, and sharing that. But you know, it's uh, looking forward to hopefully when they reschedule it, and certainly understand why. But Hope everyone keeps uh, you know healthy and happy and safe. And thanks again for joining us and for the folks who've given us some uh, little tidbits and nuggets uh, off to the side that we can share with everybody. Is what it's all about. So thank you all very much. And uh, Bobby, I'll pitch it over to you. All right, thanks, Chief. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on here, Chief Sheridan. We really do appreciate it. Um, just a couple of a couple of wrap up things I had. Um, you know. Chief Sheridan was talking about uh, the Houston fatality, Captain in Houston that got killed. Um, and to this day, we really push the guys in Ocean City to stretch all their line in one direction. So there's a, there's a big habit when you stretch your line from a stairs up to take the tail the other way. When you get your working length to go inside of an apartment. And so we really push if they can, if they don't have a, an orientation problem in the apartment, to stretch a hose back. So if you get out, if, if the window does let go and you have to get out of there in a hurry, all your line leads you to your stairs. Um, and I know they, they said in the investigation in Houston that they had a conversation about which way to go. One went one way and one went the other way. One guy had passed away. So that's important. And the last thing is, you know, we talk about high rises. They're, they're unusual. And I started in a very rural fire department and didn't know anything about them really until I came to Ocean City. But you know what? The hose is all, well, the hose is 50 feet long. It's the same size hose you lose use on every single day. The nozzles are the same. The techniques are the same. And, um, you know, it, really, if you get your fundamentals right for your engine company, truck company work, it's just about getting there in a high rise and, and recognizing the systems of a high rise per se. So um, say hi to the doggy. Yeah. The chief say. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chief Sharon, I'll turn it over to you, man. Thanks again for coming. No, I, I appreciate, I'm honored that you uh, asked me to, to be on this tonight. Um, yeah, I mean, what I could say about High Rise is that I wasn't joking. Like, really, when I came on a job, it was like the guys, they didn't really consider them like a, like a fire. I mean, it was just like um, no big deal. Like a, they said, just a project fire. I can remember it was just a project job. And even more so, like, Oh, compacted fires or rubbish fires, and you know, they were like what we call an 18, like just one and one, just an engine and a truck. And now we've gone totally 180 on that. Where 
I think personally, I, I'll tell you, I think that flyers that are not in the apartment, but if we get a like a good couch or a, a chair or a good amount of rubbish in the in the stairwells or the or the hallway, could giving that you know, given everything now with the people's mentalities that we we probably more of a tax on our resources, right? Um, you know, we had fires. Uh, I don't know, it was about 20 years ago where they were using some kind of flammable paint in the stairways. And we got a rash of fires that were just little rubbish fires that caught this, caught the paint. And we'd have these infernos that went right from lobby to right through the bulkhead. And I, I could tell you one where there was some guy, you know, two kids hanging out up on the bulkhead. And, you know, you can only imagine what that was like. So, um, very interesting fires, man. Very dynamic, especially when you factor in the wind, the fuel load, and uh, everything else. Uh, I could go on all night tell you all these project fire stories, but I'll just I'll leave it at that. We'll save it for another time. All right, or, and uh, Danny, last, last thing, may may all your standpipes stay intact tomorrow. Yes. You know what's gonna ha- you know what's gonna happen tomorrow. <laughs> it's gonna be- You're welcome, bro. It's like when you're watching and and in the eighth inning they go, you know, he's throwing a no hitter tonight. Yeah, that's you know, the. Why did he just say that? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Chief Sheridan, thank you for your absolute last broadcast you ever do with us since we've jinxed you for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. So, all right, I'm going to wrap it up. Uh, one of the things that um, I would I'd just mention is, uh, you know, in for for Chief Steeman, uh, Chief McGee, and for, for Salisbury – you know, high rise events are not a, a real common thing for us. Unlike for Chief Sheridan, you know, that they have that opportunity. They've got the the staffing that they can throw at it, the apparatus that they can throw at it. Um, but for for majority of people, it, this is a, a low frequency, uh, high risk event that, you know, is, is um, even though we're stretching the hoses the same, all that kind of stuff, like Bobby mentioned, um, you know, it, it is something that is different for us. And um, as we go into it, it's got to be one of those things that you you're going to know the buildings, uh, and you have to you have to take that as hey we're going there and it, it's going to be you know you have to be prepared for that to be a fire. Uh, you can't you know you get that bells call at at two a.m. You can't roll out of bed and um, you know make your way to the to the scene thinking oh this is BS it's going to be another one of those we're not going to have to worry about it. Um, you know expect for that to be a fire. Don't go into that thinking that we'll be out of here in half an hour and you know, it's, it's done, you know, don't be complacent, you know, wear your gear, wear, have your equipment with you, be ready to go because the time that you don't, um, you know, your, your standpipe's going to explode on you and you're going to have fire on the 33rd floor, the third, you know, with, you're going to have something. So be prepared for it. Um, and wrapping things up, we're going to share, share the screen. So, Again, special thanks to Chief Sheridan for coming on talking to us tonight. Follow us on social media. Uh, there you see it all uh, for Facebook, Strike the Box Training, uh, Twitter, uh, our website, strikethebostraining.com. We've actually gone and uploaded uh, or changed the website around a little bit. So if you want to go and catch up and watch our, our previous webcasts, there's a spot for that. Um, this will be on the front page. But then we've got the other ones from um, Mike Wood when we're talking about RIT. Uh, the one when we talked with Lieutenant Ray, or sorry, retired Lieutenant Ray McCormack. Congrats, sir, um, about the UL fire study that came out. If you're interested with getting up with Strike the Box and, um, 
you know, want to reach out to us, there's our email. And then we have all the stuff for Chief Sheridan. So if you guys want to reach out to him, uh, an excellent resource, great guy, wonderful conversation tonight. Uh, there's all of his information. And then coming next or our, our next um, our next program, May 14th, put it on your calendars. Uh, 7 p.m. Facebook and YouTube again. Assistant Chief Rob Frampton from the Salisbury Fire Department. Uh, he's currently in the National Fire Academy Fire Executive Fire Officers Program. Uh, we'll be talking kitchen fires. So um, tune in, check us out. And like I said, if you guys need anything, reach out to us and uh, we'd be happy to help. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Good night. Cheers.